Empire podcast this week, Anachi Equalizer! Two's director Antoine Fuqua, who pops by to talk about his new team up with Denzel Washington. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. I got soaked on the way to the pod booth and is not happy. Heatwave. We besmirched ye, but come back. All is forgiven. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, two of my very best friends in the whole wide world. Men I look up to. Men I am honoured to know. Couldn't be here, so I'm joined <laughs> instead by Nick DeSemlian. Hello. And James Dyer. Hi. How are you both? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick was 11 minutes late. I was all battling, wet. I was battling the elements. I have, I have donned a Meg baseball cap. You've been battling the elements. Elements. Yeah, all right, elements. Okay. That makes much more sense yeah, than we were. Said. We were observing that you look like a young Quint. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Is that because I've got a shark-based baseball cap on? You have a shark-based We should point out, it says the Meg on it, and it has, like, a bite taken out of the peak. Mm. Yeah. The, can I say the, the uh, Meg... The Meg merchandise that we received... Meg in the merch. <laughs> Meg merch. The Meg merch. The Meg is the best thing to come out of that lamentable movie. Uh, lamentable movie. Uh, does that work? Does that a pun? We got... This really cool baseball cap, which is very, very cool. You guys got some, like, water bottles. Yeah, they're very good thermal, yeah. what's-it, water bottles. And, and, and glasses um, with little sharks in them. But the best thing we got uh, are three... Four. 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 Multiplying. Actually, we got six, but two went missing. But So there were four in the office. Who is smuggling these things out? They're Johnny, so massive. Uh, Johnny lugged one Johnny back home on home. the Metropolitan Line. <laughs> really? Um, I mean, yeah. they are huge. We should, we, we should explain what they are okay. before we start describing <laughs> yeah. them. Uh, they are sharks. giant... What are they? They're foam. No, uh, no, they're they're like like big plush sharks, but they're like seven feet long. Yeah. And you can climb into their mouths and use them as a very padded sleeping bag. (laughs) And they are amazing. Yeah, and we hung one from the ceiling, sort of, you know, sort of tribute to Jaws. Oh, that's good. A much better shark film. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then one at Terry, much like Deep Blue Sea. A much better shark film. And, uh, yeah, Yeah. it's good. I'm disappointed that there hasn't been a Pippin plushie to come out. Uh, spoiler, if you haven't seen The Meg yet, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> yeah, well, Watching, much, much watching something stuff. better, watching Jaws. Yeah. There is a very cute tiny dog in it called Pippin, and yes. I think they need to release some Pippin merch ASAP. They really, really do. They needed to get on top of that right away. But uh, these things are cool. We still have a couple of them in the office, and I'll be honest, of an afternoon, whenever... Well, well on the rare occasions I'm actually in the office, uh, and if I'm, <laughs> if I'm tired... I just kind of flump down on yeah. one of them and just, and just lie there for a couple of minutes and just get my equilibrium back. I think we've discovered they're, they're comfort sharks. Like, we're going to keep at least one, <laughs> I think. So, well, like yesterday, when you have a really bad day, you can just keel over and fall onto it and just yeah. lie there. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. You probably fell in exactly the same spot I fell, so... I, there was a Chris-shaped indentation. Yeah. My drool is probably now mixed with your drool, mm-hmm. and as, people can clone us. As long as it was drool. Indeed. But uh, can I just say that uh, we, we do receive film merchandise from time to time, but it has absolutely no impact whatsoever on our integrity. Um, the Meg is a four-star film. I have upgraded it to five stars. Uh, it is, is now playing in cinemas near you, and we will come around and do a commentary. It is uh, Jawsome. <laughs> wow. Nick, Nick and I are actually having lunch with the Meg today, so that's quite exciting. We're, we're having lunch with somebody called Meg, yeah. and we were just uh, lamenting that it, we it's weren't not having lunch with the Meg. Okay. The Meg yeah. Just a Meg, not the Meg. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be magnificent. Oh, there we go. Uh, can I just say that I'm disappointed that neither of you are Chris McQuarrie, and I... <laughs> 
but aren't we all? I am expecting at some point because I'm just so used now to interviewing Chris McQuarrie. <laughs> it is, it, it just seems to be my natural state. Yeah. And I'm expecting him to come through that door any second now. So I'm should just. We, should we Macquarie bust this? Should we aim for seven hours for this particular pod? That would make this the last Empire podcast, I'm pretty sure. As, or the best Empire podcast. Well, I would say the best, but most people would say the last, as they switch off in droves and then burn their iPhones and then put them the remains in concrete and then drop them down to the bottom of the sea. We should do what Jake Kasdan did on the commentary to the Zero Effect. So he had a thing that no one listens to director's commentaries, so he dropped in words every sort of like now and then uh, they made up a sentence and he said if anyone can come up to him on the street and say that sentence he will give them ten dollars because he didn't believe anyone did it so we could do that it was something like something my magnificent timpani it was a very weird sentence but this is is pre-internet right? it was pre-internet yes so is that still standing? I don't know. We should, but this is the thing. Didn't you interview him recently? Yeah. And I said, say these words to him and see if he gives you money, and then you didn't do it. Hmm. Uh, you should probably yeah. have explained why. Yeah, I probably. Instead of just yeah. being Chris, ask Chris, him about Chris. his magnificent timpani. <laughs> yeah. Say this to Jake Kasdan. I mean, you could get a restraining order put on you for yeah, inquiring probably, about magnificent timpanis. I probably should have provided um, context. Yeah, I love a director's commentary. I yeah, just you, to you've the... listened to every Lord of the Rings one <laughs> on the extended editions, and there's, and by last count, about 300 on each one. True story, I was mugged while listening to um, the Peter Jackson uh, Two Towers commentary, uh, Philippa Boyens and Fran Walsh also. I was, I had them all on my iPod was it, was it an intervention? And somebody grabbed my iPod out of my hand. Was this when you went full Robert Patrick and ran after them Terminator 2 I style? did run after them, and I, I, I was really... They, Peter Jackson was in the middle of a great anecdote about big itches, and I, <laughs> I ran after... I ran after the mugger and uh, he threw it back at me and unfortunately it was well, broken because he put it on he like what the fuck is this <laughs> I was listening to a Richard Taylor comedy about Bigature where Bigature is when someone ripped my headphones out of my head and I can still hear the commentary <laughs> <laughs> even as he disappeared down the street the Bigature's are great we built the Bigature look at this incredible bit of software that we built best voice in the industry I love Richard Taylor. That's a niche impression, it isn't is. it? I mean, li- it's a little specific. <laughs> I, mean, I was yes. just thinking about Richard Taylor. We're really going off the course here, that's aren't we? We're that's aiming it. for seven hours. Yeah. But I was just thinking about Richard Taylor because um, he's a massive Ghibli fan and uh, Ghibli is kind of... Uh, they're showing Ghibli movies at the Picture House at the moment and there's a film four season. And uh, I was remembering when I met him, he talked a lot about Porco Rossi. I wasn't sure why, <laughs> but he excited. <laughs> it was in New Zealand and he, he showed me his collection of Porco Rossi toys. So he is obsessed with that film. Porco Rosso? Porco Rosso films. Mm. I've not seen it. Oh. That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. He, I was wearing um, the Totoro t-shirt you bought me. Oh. And that's why uh, he thought I He presumed I was a big Porco Rosso fan, but <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. The Totoro t-shirt you bought, I'm assuming this was when the two of you went to Japan without me. No. Uh, I bought Nick the Totoro t-shirt in Comic-Con. That's not really the same, is it? No, it's not. No. But, um, yeah, we did go to Japan without you. Sorry about that. Bastards. Yeah. Didn't you go to a ninja restaurant? Was this the thing you did? Hmm. Yeah. When ninjas jump out of trapdoors and serve you food? No. Or did I, was that a dream? That was a dream. We did go to uh, a number of themed restaurants, including one restaurant where, you had, where it was a fish restaurant. You had to catch your own, <laughs> to catch your own food, and we failed spectacularly. <laughs> what, with a rod or with your hands? They just chuck you well, in Of course a with a rod. They don't, you know, <laughs> no, they give you sticks of dynamite, and you go in and you just drop it into the water. <laughs> that sounds much more fun. And it's, and it's already cooked when it comes out, so that's, yeah. that's the idea behind that. No, we, had, we went to one of those places. We went to, we went to, we went to a magic 
<laughs> we went to a magic uh, restaurant. <laughs> no, we went. We literally went to a restaurant called Ninja oh, was that in it? Tokyo. Yeah. That's where the guy came out I and did the magic. They, 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 and the menu was a scroll, and they had a lot of dry ice. <laughs> That's right, they did. Yeah, <laughs> and you have to go across a drawbridge. Yeah, this sounds amazing. Oh, it's amazing. I love Japan. It's, yeah. it's just the best. I love place. that you went without me and didn't ask me to come. That was great. Uh, but I think that was that was 2008. Christ, that makes me feel old. But I was 2008, and I don't think I had the same contempt for you then <laughs> that I do for you now. So. It wouldn't even have crossed my mind to ask you. Anyway, you were busy. You were busy doing stuff. More, more comedy restaurants. Ah, uh, yeah. We need more themed restaurants. The um, closest I've ever come is the Rainforest Cafe, where they have stuffed frogs. But, you know, <laughs> they're not stuffed. <laughs> they're animatronic. Well, we whatever. have that um, themed restaurant in Camden where people try and stab at you as you go true. into it. Yeah, that is true. The Camden Stabbery. I like yeah. that one. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm not sure that's a themed restaurant. I think that's just because it's, just it's in Camden. It's, it's the <laughs> local colour. Let's not name any actual restaurants. <laughs> Let's taste to us. Let's not do that. Right. Um, so <laughs> I've got one thing to say before we get on to our first question, and that is the spooky rumbling is a distant timpani. Yes, that's the one. And now Jake Kasdan owes us all $10. He does. We should track him down. Could I say everyone who listens to the podcast, find out where Jake Kasdan lives, stand outside his house and just shout that until he gives you money. <laughs> uh, can I just say to everyone who listens to the podcast, do not do that. Don't it's find fine, out where Jake Kasdan lives. Helen's not here. She's given blanket permission for us to just go wild. I feel that this is a bad thing. I feel that this will end badly. Right, okay. So let's have a question, shall we? Shall sure. we? Here's what's happening... I sent you guys uh, an email on Monday saying, hey, this is what's happening on the podcast this week, and here's the question. Nick, last night, in agreeing to come on to the podcast, said, that's a stupid question, I'm not doing that question. You I didn't say, such a princess. I, I didn't say stupid, I, and don't say what the question is. <laughs> I, I, just, I said it was rubbish, which is less... Um, <laughs> less extreme. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was good. Well, we can't do it now, can no, we? No, we can't, because now, you know, you've, you've called the poor person who's a bit stupid. More, it was more that I didn't have an answer for it. Right. I think that was, okay. to be fair, it was a good question. All right, so uh, I put the shout-out on Twitter just before we started recording for some questions. I'm going to throw a couple at you and see what you fancy. Here's one from Ben Collins at BenC3434. That's his PIN number. I'm sure of it. Going by the amazing success of Mission Impossible Fallout, going by the length of time between films, can Tom... Cruise, I, I presume, not Hollander. Can Tom do it again at nearly 60? Which brings me to the question, how old is too old for an action star? Have you met Liam Neeson? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Liam Neeson, who can jump a fence. <laughs> yeah, in 37 takes. <laughs> 37 separate shots stitched yeah. together. That is my favourite sequence in any film. Taken two or taken three? He's taken, taken three. three. And he literally climbs over a fence and it is cut together of, I believe, 16 separate shots. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Presumably because yeah. someone had to come in and give him a leg up and then they had to catch him on the other side. And... Or he climbed over 16 consecutive fences. Yeah. He was so He was like, so hardcore. So primed. And they just used the best of each fence. Exactly. Oh. One take. One See, take. they should they should do a director's cut stretched out. Fuck Denzel Washington's fences. This should be fences, and it should be Liam Neeson <laughs> climbing over this fence for an hour and a half. Jesus Christ! Another one. <laughs> he'd, he'd yell. <laughs> yeah, uh, climbing don't fences. I don't know what you want, but I will climb over you. Climbing fences is not on his particular set of skills. <laughs> I think. Uh, think about you know Big Liam as uh, I am. I'm honour-bound to call him being a Northern Irishman. Big Liam uh, is that he will be very candid with you when he talks about these action movies. That he's a, I think he's 64 years old. He may be now 65. And his knees aren't what they once were. And I can, I can sympathise with that. Because Liam Neeson. I am makes involuntary noise when bending down to pick up something years old. <laughs> and I can, I, can, I can get it, you know. 
even just recording this podcast elicits a <laughs> every now and again. Just pressing that button, and I go, "Oh, that hurts." So I can I can get it, mm. but he's he can still handle himself. But I think from the the waist up, this is not to disparage Big Liam in other areas. Now, if you know the Hollywood stories, lore. the Hollywood lore about Big Liam, I'm <laughs> Nick's sure making desperate. Sure. Stop talking about this. <laughs> sure he is still more than capable from the waist down. Should we but, not be talking about the four poles of Hollywood? <laughs> no, I okay. I mean, so, when these four guys are in the lift, there is no room for anyone else. Should we name them? I'm calling Helen. No. No, we shouldn't. Helen, we shouldn't we should, Helen I'm calling like Helen if you, if you carry on down this, uh, yeah. down this road. So Harrison Ford. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that he's... <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm, so that five. is a total change of subject. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I'm, because, because Liam Neeson, you know, bless him, he, he's not big with the running, is he? He's more of a standstill, occasionally walk a bit and shoot people. Well, that's because he has a, to worry about the tripod. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, he's in a film called his, Run his All Night. His balance is off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do he doesn't do the Tom Cruise thing, which is to run faster than I have ever run. Like in uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, that running scene is astonishing. I yeah. have never run that fast, especially when you're told that he most of his running, I think ninety percent of his running in Fallout, is after he broke his ankle. Did I can't you, get around my head. I can't get my head around that. Did you ask Christopher McQuarrie how many takes he had to do with the running shot? And if not, can you go back and do another <laughs> Hang podcast? On. Which running shot? The one that... The fallout. Fallout. That was his fourth take. Fourth take. Yeah. Okay, good knowledge. I mean, Harrison Ford is 76. They are shooting um, Indiana Jones 4. They've only done three so far. <laughs> They're That's doing right, Indiana yeah. Jones 4 yeah. next year. So he's going to be 77. So when good, the film comes out, maths. he'll be 78. Like I'm on a roll here. here <laughs> Wait a second. Um, That's the real test, isn't it? As Blu-ray comes out, he's going to be 79. <laughs> when it comes out on Netflix. So... <laughs> That's a real test, isn't it? Because Indiana Jones has to do some proper punchy-punchy, runny-runny, whippy-whippy, like proper action scenes. He can't just walk around. He is Mr. Whippy. Indeed. So, I don't know. As a huge Indiana Jones fan, I am excited and terrified about that film. I'm not jonesing for Indiana, I'll be honest. Like, I I feel a bit like... I I think it peaked with The Last Crusade, and I just... I don't need anything more there. Mm. I'm done. He did some pretty cool stuff in the last one, like some some decent fights. Mm Mm-hmm. The bit mm-hmm. where he's kind of running a, on top of the boxes, the crates in the warehouse at the beginning, mm-hmm. and he's like whipping his way across. That was pretty cool. Listen, I still think Harrison Ford is a very physically capable guy, and I think he could kick any of our asses, including Jimbo, who knows karate. But if you notice in Blade Runner 2049, he wasn't really doing the physical stuff. That was left to Baby Goose to do. I just don't know whether he can pull it off convincingly anymore. What was the question? Uh, how old is too old? Ah, yes, right. How okay, old is too old? Like, I, mean, I think, we, I think the right. answer to the correct answer to this is Roger Moore and A View to a Kill <laughs> yeah. is, t- is uh, too old. And we did a, a quiz on the website a while back um, about stunt doubles and um, went from freeze-framed shots where you can see it's the stunt double and it's astonishing. Like, almost everything Roger Moore does, his stunt double comes and his stunt double looks exactly like Bernard Manning. <laughs> <laughs> But there's scenes where he's driving the car and it's his stunt double. It's like, surely he can drive the car. Be bothered. He's like, no. um, but look, you know, like Lord of the Rings, like Christopher Lee gets into a big old star fight with Gandalf and the man was 173 years old. Yes, um, yes, because that was Christopher Lee. It was. I'm not Richard Tyler wielding <laughs> a massive big issue. I've got a Palantir. <laughs> um, I've built a working Palantir. <laughs> 
Peter, Peter, it's shown what happens if you make the lovely bones, and I would recommend strongly you do not. Who is this impression for? That is not what a lost seeing stone is used for. Oh, my God. What is it, Palantir, then? Palantir splaining. You are, you really are. A Palantir is used to communicate across Middle-earth. Yeah, it's like a Middle-earthian phone. Because Aragorn texts Sauron at the end of the extended cut <laughs> using the Palantir. Um, it was just like, meet me at the back gate, lol, 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 XX hug, hug emoji. <laughs> I mean, I think with, with stuntmen and with CG and whatnot, you can, you can get past it, right? We know that Harrison Ford isn't going to be doing most of his stunts in Indiana Jones 4, so that's going to be fine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But the thing about Part the, of the magic of Raiders is that... that it's that that Fick Armstrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that, that shot, that shot of, of Indiana Jones running away from the boulder was Harrison Ford. Like, he really did that, and he stumbled a bit, and it's that, watching that shot, you feel like he's in real danger. But yeah, it's, it's, and he actually got the shits, and so hence shot the Arab Swordsman. That was him yeah, getting the shits. It wasn't Fick Armstrong is, getting the shits. No, it wasn't. Phil, he might have done That's as well. irrelevant, but okay. Um, <laughs> How's it irrelevant? I don't know. You can still tell when the actor is. He doing did his own shit. Nine times out of ten, it's a stunt double doing this shit. It's only Christopher McQuarrie who's basically got a secret plan to murder Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? We're going to throw him out of a plane. We're going to stick him on a plane. We're going to crush him under this and hurl him off that. And you know, it's incredible. But not everyone does that. Yeah, for you know, insurance reasons. And I think that's bringing it back to the original question here, which is the idea of you know, if if there is a mission seven, then I'm almost certain there will be. Mm. Uh, and Cruz does insist he'll be almost sixty by that point, and he'll probably insist once again on doing all his own stunts. Yeah. And I've asked Macquarie this because about the ankle break. I asked him, is this is this Tom Cruise's body and age finally catching up with him and going? You know what? Maybe you shouldn't be doing this stuff. And Macquarie says no. That it was just a, it was just an, an accident. It was something that went wrong. They did three takes perfectly well. The fourth take, he wanted to do it again, and it 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 didn't go. It was just one of those things. It, it could happen to anybody. But you, do have, you know, he's going to be sixty, and mm. you know, we're. I, I'm a big football fan, and footballers, you know, they're, they're talked about as over the hill and past the minute they hit thirty. The minute they hit thirty, they're like, "Well, your body's your body's breaking down." I'm afraid you you know you're ready for the knackers yard, really. And here's Cruz, twice that, and you have to wonder at some point when will his body say no? Look, we're all too old for this shit. I mean, this I'm I'm the James's stunt double here. I've, James has been in the office for the last half an hour. You know, I'm too old for the fucking podcast. Yeah, it's it? so strenuous, isn't it? It is. Mm. And pressing that button, yeah. really, really tough. Uh, so You're how, standing up as well. I do stand up for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, it gives you a standing energy. It really does, doesn't Big it? Big pod energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big Liam energy. Yeah. No, no, no one no one has big Liam energy. No, apart from, anyway. Here he goes. There he goes, yeah. Nick again. Nick's like, that's the, no, no. no Two no. cans of Coke. So I'm, uh, later, end to end. <laughs> what? Hang, hang on, hang, did you go and get to censor us and then compare his knob to two cans Who said of coke? I was just asking for some coke. Yeah. <laughs> this is Nick's rider. He uh, every it's now like and again he'll just marrow with a motorcycle helmet on the end. <laughs> That's another strange request, but uh, okay, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I can I can actually picture Helen at this moment listening, just shaking her head, perhaps banging it on a table. Uh, do we want another question? Or are you happy with that? I don't know. What else have you got? Oh God! Right, let's see. This is highly unorthodox. Dave Lee asks, what's the best movie building? Then he gives three options. Oh, that's a good one. There is only one answer to this. Ghostbusters Fire Station. No. Nakatomi Plaza. Yes. <laughs> Stark Tower. No. Whew. Nakatomi, not least of all, because last time I was in LA, I stayed in the hotel next to it, and every morning threw open the curtains and gazed out at the majesty of the Nakatomi Plaza. 
It was pretty pretty special. Should we give a quick plug to uh, to what is coming? <laughs> to what is coming? Yes. Mm. So I, I became one with Die Hard for the next feature, uh, the next issue of Empire Magazine, which is out on the September the sixth. September the sixth, and I did big old glorious retrospective Die hard thon which Nick asked me to write at, was it two, two and a half thousand words? And I wrote at six and a half thousand words. <laughs> Thank you, It James. is the definitive viewing guide to Die Hard. And I spoke to director John McTiernan, and I spoke to screenwriters Jeb Stewart and Stephen D'Souza, and I now know everything there is to know about Die Hard, which is nice. As if you weren't insufferable enough already. <laughs> Funny, that's exactly what John McTiernan said. All right, so if you want to hear us talk more about what's in that issue of Empire, then do come along to our live podcast on September 7th. Uh, we're doing a live podcast the evening of Friday, September 7th, as part of the London Podcast Festival. Uh, tickets are available right now, www.kingsplace.co.uk. Uh, check it out. And as we're part of the London Podcast Festival, you can buy tickets to three shows, three or more shows, and you will get a discount of 15%. www.kingsplace.co.uk. And if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, just as Dave Lee and the other one uh, found to their cost... You can find us on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine. And we're on email podcast at empireonline.com. Right. Time now for some movie news. What has been happening, gents? You ask a good question. You don't know, do you? I don't really. But I do know one thing, and that's that uh, The Dark Knight is returning to the IMAX on its original 70mm print. This is what you lead with? Yeah. This is your big story? This is my, no, because I, I want to go and see it. It's, I think it's at the end of August they're showing it at the uh, IMAX Waterloo. Not to be confused with the IMAX Peterloo, which is apparently debuting in Manchester. Yes, Mike Lee's new film Peterloo, which is about the Peterloo Massacre, uh, is going to play at the London Film Festival, but with a twist, because it's actually going to premiere in Manchester. Now, mm. I've consulted my map, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that Manchester is not part of London. Oh, don't be ridiculous. It's not even the best city in the northwest. Everywhere's part of London. This is true. Eventually, one day, London will swallow up and become Mega City One. A bit like the Mortal Engines. Uh, is that the new film that uh, Richard Taylor is working on? It, it, it is indeed. Giant! Giant <laughs> <coughs> mobile cities! It's London, but it's moving! <laughs> what? That's worse than my group, but yeah, what are you doing? It's gone bad. Um, but Peter Lou, yeah, it's it's Mike Lee's new film. Uh, it's his most epic film, his biggest budget film to date. Um, it's a big historical drama around uh, the Peter Lou massacre, which happened in 1819. But what do we what do we think about this? What do we think about this idea that the LFF can spread its wings and uh, you know take place in different cities? Well, it's just then the FF, <laughs> Fantastic Four. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's no longer the London Film Festival. It's not I, in I, London. You know, I I don't know. I I think I feel like this is a one-off just because of this film and the significance of that event to Manchester. It doesn't feel to me like this is the beginning of them starting to outsource all their all their premieres. But I may be wrong. But, but you can see where this is coming I can, from. I can see. I can see why they're doing it. Yeah, not just because of the uh, the, the the meaningful nature of the movie, but also because you know the, the film industry in Britain is very London centric. We get accusations all the time. I mean, we're doing another live show on September 7th. Tickets available now at kingsplace.co.uk, as I said. 
And it's in London, yeah. as all our podcasts, bar two in Edinburgh, have been. And people, you know, now and again write in and go, why aren't you taking the podcast to Manchester? Why aren't you what? taking it to Liverpool? It's dangerous to go beyond the wall without an ex- escort. It's, you know, there be wildlings and giants and undead dragons and, you know... I feel terrifying. like we should stop you there. Yeah, I, I just think that that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But also, crucially, this is the London Film Festival. Listen, I'm not condemning this. This is a, a, a fine and admirable move. Uh, and I hope it means that Mike Lee does what Phil Collins did at Live Aid in 1985 and appears, because there's also a screen in London, I think, so he appears, he tries somehow to be in both. You know, Phil Collins did Philadelphia and the London shows, amazingly. No one can be in two cities at once. Phil Collins can. Except Liam Neeson. So that's that cover. What else? What's happening? Let me lob a couple of uh, random uh, news grenades into the into the fray. So Tony Kay, the somewhat uh, notorious uh, director, you'll know best as uh, the guy who made American History X, which had uh, quite a troubled and fascinating production history. Also dental issues. Eh? The curb stomp. Oh, I It's the most infamous yes, yes, scene. Yes. yes, indeed. I thought you were saying he had dental issues. I mean, he may do. I'm not his orthodontist, I couldn't say. But during the making of that film, he, he took out a full-page ads in the trades to uh, denounce Edward Norton, the star <laughs> of the film. He took uh, a Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, and a Tibetan monk along to a meeting with the studio. To, oh, I know, I know this one. <laughs> and uh, tried to get his name changed in the credits to Humpty Dumpty. But anyway, he's, <laughs> he's in the headlines again, um, because apparently... <laughs> Word has just come out that his new film will have a robot uh, as one of the lead actors. <laughs> Seems yes. Fair. Seems fair. He's, he is aiming to cast an actual robot who will be trained in different acting methods and techniques, and they are hoping that this uh, AI will get SAG recognition. Wow. So it's a big break for Chappie. <laughs> um, I don't know, what do we think? I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that Chappie's getting a sequel. <laughs> Thank you, James. I, I'm more excited by Tony Kay's magnificent facial hair. Have you seen him at the moment? It's yeah. extraordinary. It puts Brian Blessed to shame. That's all I've got. I, uh, That's I, my have, contribution. I haven't seen it, and I don't have any real thoughts on the matter. Okay. Um, my friend Simon interned for Tony Kay while he was making American History X. There you go. That's a really? hot fact for you. That's all. Any stories you can repeat? Uh, I know at one point he made Simon sit outside the Hayward Gallery holding a sign. I can't remember what the sign said for several days, but I can't remember the details, which I'm sure were hilarious. Wow. (laughs) It said here you would have acted out. There you go. So I'm going to segue very quickly into the only exciting news I can think of for this week, which Mm -hmm. is the casting of Spock in Star Trek Discovery. I'm honestly amazed it took you so long. Yeah, I know. Well, I had to get the Dark Knight thing out of the way first. Um, So, yeah, so Ethan Peck, grandson of Gregory Peck, will be playing the raised-eyebrowed Vulcan in uh, Star Trek Discovery, Uh, adoptive sibling of Sonequa Martin-Green's Michael Burnham. No relative to Walter Peck. No relative to Walter Peck. (laughs) Uh, I mean, or so I believe. Uh, And you will know him from the many things that he's been in, Starring Ethan Peck, so that's uh, that's that's good. Um, he's 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 good. He's a good Spock alike. You know, I think a lot of people wanted Zachary Quinto to to reprise I, the role yeah. for this. You were one of them. I was one of them. Uh, I'm kind of glad they didn't because it feels a little bit like muddying the waters or muddying the timelines, however you wish. But also, it, I think there's it, an aging issue. I think he needs to be a bit younger. And I know Vulcans not, don't age at a standard rate. That's you know fine, but not but much younger. Think a bit younger. How much bit, younger? I mean, a, a bit younger. I have far, far, how far? I have, 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 good game, good game. <laughs> how far ahead of the Abrams reboots does Discovery take place? Well, it's not so much how far in terms of time, but how far in terms of dimension hopping. Oh fuck what off! What with the fact that fuck they take place in separate timelines? No, no, no! Shut um, up! Shut up! <laughs> Just answer my question. 
for the love of God, you just can't. once in your life, just once in your life, <laughs> just look at me. <laughs> Look at me! I'm going to change. I'm going to just interject because I don't care about the answer, even if he I care. Answer. I care about the answer. What if you were cast as Spock? Yes. And then what you, if I you, was cast no, as no, Spock? No, no. I was. I happened to be looking in your direction, but I was not addressing <laughs> that to you. What if one one person was cast as Spock, got to the set, and then on day one realised that you couldn't do that thing with your with your with your hand where you do the <laughs> the thing with what, like the handshake? The, no, like, the, like, the, 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 the Vulcan the Vulcan salute. the Vulcan hand thing. I love the, <laughs> the you're, Vulcan, what you're doing now. I can't do it. You're just swearing at me. That's just rude. That's offensive. I, that is. Lad, I can't do it. Yes, Chris can do it. Some people can, of course can, I can do, do it. it. Some people can't. I was born no, doing it. Not everyone can do it. Both hands. Oh, yeah, that's oh, it. Oh. The double Vulcan salute. Now, Nick, that, again, you're just telling me to fuck off. That's not. That's it's not. a genetic thing. Um, yeah. Some that, people can do it, some people can't. That would be absolutely amazing. And they had the CG in Ethan Peck's hand <laughs> the entire time. Or put someone else's arm in his sleeve. This is a legitimate question. Do you think this is part of the audition process? I think like, it's the entire have to get audition that out process. Of the way first. Like, can you raise one eyebrow? Tick. Can you do the Vulcan salute? Yeah. Tick. Playing Spock is incredibly easy. <laughs> You turn up, you have someone put those little pointy ears on you, right? And then you just do the hand thing. Occasionally you touch someone's neck and they make you conscious. You be logical. logical and you repeat your lines in a sort of deadpan monotone. I mean, that's all you have to do. It's so easy. I think you're um, you're belittling yeah. the craft of, I think, of a Spock. A I think you find occasionally you are seized by the pond far and have to start rubbing, gyrating against the navigation officer. That's a thing that happens. I find your conclusion... <laughs> Illogical. <laughs> See? See? Yeah. I could do it. You could. You well, could. best of luck Best of luck to uh, Ethan Peck. Yeah. Predator dogs. No, 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 about... no, 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 no. I, I, How far <laughs> ahead of the Abrams reboot does Discovery take place? The thing you have to understand, Chris, is time has no meaning in dimensional physics. How so... far... I'm going to go full Paxman on you, okay? <laughs> How far... Ahead of the Abrams reboot, does Discovery take place? Uh, ahead of the Abrams reboot, how far does it take place? Do you know what? I would have to consult the databanks. I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> You've gone full junior Tory minister here. <laughs> Are you really? consulting data? I would have to consult Mr. Data. Computer, computer. I'm so afraid I, I don't have that information. All right, to all, right, I'm, I'm, all right, no, we're going to do this. Let's let do James this. do that while we talk about this. the next story. We're going to do this. All right. Siri, how far in advance of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek does Star Trek Discovery take place? Star Trek... I'm sorry, I don't have that information. I'm sorry, I don't care. She's having none of it. No. N- n- I mean, none. I'm sorry, Chris. I've broken I my don't phone. understand what you're saying You see to what's me. happened? We've posed like a transdimensional conundrum to Syria. Look, it's broken. It's I literally Siri, broken. I think you may have asked the dullest question in the galaxy. <laughs> and Siri has got bored and gone away. Siri is... Siri could play Spock. Okay. I it, find your question illogical. It's come up on the screen. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. Trouble with the connection. Oh, okay. The Wi-Fi yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Siri versus Bauer Media's Wi-Fi yeah. connection, and there's only one winner in that case. Anyway, yes. Nick, you were saying? Predator dogs. Or, dare I say, predator dogs. <laughs> I mean, no. You, I, don't, you don't dare say that, because that makes no sense. So this, this news comes via uh, some small plastic toys. Yeah. Uh, the Funko, uh, the Predator range... For Shane Black's upcoming uh, sequel, prequel, whatever, mm. whatever the heck it is, has been Pred-quel. released. Predquel, and um, as well as uh, uh, the obvious uh, predators and Jacob Tremblay wearing a big predator helmet, um, which is going to happen in the film. It's exciting. Uh, there are three predator dogs of different colours, which I am quite excited about. 
Yes, I know lots about Predator James, dogs. tell us what you're allowed to tell us. I don't think I'm allowed to tell you anything. Well, you can tell um, us they're in the film. They are in the film, and there was talk that maybe they were no longer in the film, but they are still in the film, and I know this because I asked Shane Black and he told me. And there is at least one big set piece that involves these dogs, mm. and I have stood on the set where that happens, and I shook the hand of the man who stood in for the Predator dogs in his little mocap suit. Uh, and yeah, there's some funny stuff. Like there genuinely some really funny stuff involving the uh, the Predator dogs, and they look about ninety eight percent less shit than the ones in uh, Predators. I don't remember the ones in Predators. No, I've seen the film either. And I was on set. Times, yeah. You were on set of that. I don't remember. And you much. don't remember your my Predator worst dogs. ever feature. <laughs> yes, yeah. we discussed you know. this one of my worst ever features. <laughs> Remind me, Nick. What sounds does a Predator make? Apparently, it goes kara. <laughs> I open the, I open my piece with that word. I'm not yeah. sure why. And Empire it, is staring in the face of a predator. Luckily, it's not real. <laughs> um, You're an extraordinary talent. It's a classic fake out. It's a classic feature introduction. <laughs> Empire is heading for certain death. No, it's not. We're on a movie set. <laughs> oh, oh, extraordinary. Hackery is rife. Yeah. yeah. But, I, yeah, I don't remember them in that film, but I am still excited to see them in this. I don't know. As, as well you should be. I, no, I'm very excited to see this film. I think, uh, I think the excitement for a Predator sequel uh, is limited. I think the excitement for any Shane Black movie should be off the chain. And I think the two together is a really interesting idea. And from what I've seen of the film, it looks loads of fun. And we talked about this before. I don't think the Fox have necessarily done it any favours with the marketing campaign. But to be fair to them, it's very hard to market a Shane Black film. And a Shane Black Predator sequel is, again, quite a tricky thing to you know encapsulate and two and a half minutes so I've seen some stuff I'm impressed with this stuff mm-hmm. I am very excited to see the film you're going to see it first though aren't you because you're going to be at Toronto and isn't that where it will debut indeed indeed fingers crossed you shall have to uh, text us and let us know how the Predator dogs I will, I will let go. you know via emojis I announced I think a tad prematurely on the Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler special the second slash third part of which the the second three-hour, yes, three-hour chat with Chris McQuarrie is up now. And at the end of that, if anyone has made it to the end of that, I say that the next spoiler special is likely to be The Predator with Shane Black. And I uh, I was premature. I can't believe we were talking about Star Trek. And we didn't mention the fact that Star Trek Four has run into some difficult waters. And this is the four. Well, Star Trek, everyone calls it Star Trek Four, which offends me. Yeah, because it's that's Star Voyage Trek, Home. Yeah, it's Star Trek Fourteen. Star yeah. Trek Fourteen. Uh, has run into some difficult waters, and those difficult waters are it's it's lost its two stars. Now that's that's a bit of a well, problem. Has it, or are they just kind of in discussion still? Uh, well, of co- according to last week's scuttlebutt, Chris Pine for it is he who plays um, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk, <laughs> uh, and Chris Hemsworth, who is going to be appearing in this movie as the dad of Captain Kirk, George Kirk. We saw him, of course in that wonderful opening to Abrams 2009 um, they're going to be they were going to be in this movie it was going to be a big time travel shenanigans thing and now apparently they're walking or they're they're making noises that they're about to walk it is no longer a pine scented Trek movie it uh, doesn't seem to be this, so this was because their salaries are now significantly higher and Star Trek which I believe lost money on the last film that's what they're saying um, but accountants will tell you that about everything yes, I think doesn't want to pay their relative DC slash Marvel salaries yes. and wants them to take a pay cut and they Whereas, are unwilling yeah Pine and Hemsworth are taking a leaf out of Ray Liotta's book from Goodfellas and going fuck you pay me <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that that is a shame. That is a shame. I was very excited to see old uh, George and James Kirk reunited. But I think, you know, let them go. You know, bring in Bob Odenkirk and just go in a, <laughs> off on a tangent. Just take a slightly different tack. And bring in, you know, so bring in Bob Odenkirk and then bring in Anthony Hopkins. So you have Odin and Odenkirk. <laughs> oh, no. Odin as Kirk and then Odin... Anyway. It'd be amazing. Um, you're not the captain. You're not the captain. You're a vain, greedy and cruel starship captain. We're going to kill the Klingons. <laughs> one man can do, another can do. What one falcon can do, another can do. What one falcon can do, another can do. Say where we are. Say where we are. Yeah. Um... Extraordinary. So but. the first, so the first uh, rebooted Star Trek film made around three hundred and twenty-five million worldwide. Into Darkness made four hundred and sixty-seven million. And I didn't think this worldwide. new story could get any more boring. <laughs> I you have surpassed expectations. But the Star Trek Beyond dipped like hundred million. Yes. Down to 343 million. This is fascinating. If you stuff. can break no, this down into international <laughs> domestic box office, that makes This is interesting this because is this, interesting. Is, this is why there may not be a Star Trek 14 because yeah. there seems to be a ceiling for this, this franchise, despite the fact that it's a beloved franchise. But that's, I mean, I mean, I would be genuinely, as the, as the office trekker, uh, the most upset about this. But none of this matters because Patrick Stewart is coming back to become Jean Luc Picard again. And really, the world can just burn apart from that. You guys covered that in the podcast, didn't not, you? I'm, I, I'm almost certain I, I ran around screaming, running around the building for at least a day, so we must have recorded part of that. But yeah, that's, you know, that to me, everything else Trek has kind of faded into the background. And now I... the building is on fire. Oh, that's stopped. a test. That's a test. I'm sad about this. I like the idea of a kind of time travelly adventure with those guys and seeing Hemsworth and Pine, two of the, two of the Chris's together. Bring in Evans, why not? Mm. I look like bring Hot in, Tub Time Machine. Bring in, when are they going to have all four Chris's in a film? That's I what mean, the world needs. I don't, don't want to break this to you. There are more than four Chris's. There are, well, I mean, there's one here. I mean, he's a shit one, but we do have our own. <laughs> the hey. four big Chris's. The four big Chris's. Hey! No, <laughs> no fair enough. Um, so, I don't know. I, I'm a bit disappointed. But then again, there are a lot of films about heroes and their daddy issues, so... Maybe. I don't care. Oh, yeah, I want to see. I want to see Kirk and Kirk. That that'd be really fun. And I, I absolutely totally get the reasons why you don't pay Hemsworth and Pine. I don't know what their asking price is, but you've got to be talking at least five, six quid. You know, it's it's a lot of money. But you know, so also part of me goes, well, not my money. Fuck it, pay them, pay the man, pay the pay them what they want. Mm. Because I don't know what you're going to do. Recast. You could recast. You I, could recast George Kirk because I don't think anyone remembers, you know, apart from obviously film fans, that Hemsworth was George Kirk. But I, I think the only reason to do that storyline is because you can get Hemsworth. I think you kill that whole idea and you rethink it. Yeah, um, but, but I don't think you can recast Kirk. I think that's problematic. I, I, I wonder if at that point you have to just shelve it and reboot or do something else. I think recasting Kirk is. I mean, that would, that would never work. They would never recast Spock, for example. <laughs> Well, Chris, when you go down the trousers of time, eventually you run into Liam Neeson's. Anyway. How um, far ahead <laughs> of the Abrams reboot? Do you know what? I'm going to find out definitively for you because you're clearly not going to let this drop. Um, it can't be that far. It can't be, it can't be any more than 10 years. Right? Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Apparently, it's about 10 years before the adventures of Kirk and Spock. <laughs> literally just said that. <laughs> All right, so 10 but years, right? is that 10 Earth years? Oh, uh, Or yes. is it... And how close to a singularity were ten, they when they measured ten, clit- ten years? Clitari years, <laughs> which are measured in, in, in sound waves. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that could happen. No. 
the thing is, you, you have to measure it in Star Trek time, which is, uh, it's better for you, it's better for us, it's better for them. <laughs> uh, okay, so that is it for the movie news, unless you've got anything else you want to throw at me? Yeah. I mean, I barely had anything to begin with, so... Fair enough, excellent. Uh, it is time now then for this week's guest... Antoine Fuqua was last on the podcast to talk about The Equalizer, which was his second team-up with Denzel Washington, coming years after Training Day, the movie that, of course, won him an Oscar. They've since reteamed two more times on The Magnificent Seven a couple of years ago, and then on this week's The Equalizer 2, the first sequel of Denzel Washington's career, the first sequel of Antoine Fuqua's career as well, and sees Denzel return as Robert McCall, the CIA, former CIA operative who likes to right some wrongs. Fuqua came at the pod booth recently to talk about his relationship with Denzel Washington and navigating Hollywood uh, through hits and failures and was a fascinating and forthright interview and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, he was talking to me, by the way. Which means you probably won't enjoy it. But there you go. Me talking to Antoine Fuqua. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director of The Equalizer 2, Mr. Antoine Fuqua. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Good, good, good. How's London treating you so far? How long have you been here? London's fucking great. <laughs> I should move here. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> We've been more than happy to have you. By the way, can I just say, uh, before the podcast started, I said, you're allowed to swear on the Empire Podcast, and you took your opportunity in the first sentence. I've been wanting to swear on all these interviews <laughs> around the fucking world. <laughs> It's like killing me. Yeah, because this is a movie that doesn't hold back. This is a this is a brutal film, just like the first one as well. So why can't you? You should be able to swear. Yeah, well, you know, you got to be a little PC these days. Yeah, you know, get in trouble. Little PG thirteen. Little PG thirteen. <laughs> Only in interviews. <laughs> Only in Not interviews. with you though. <laughs> Not with me. Absolutely. We're we're going to be dropping f bombs and c words all all the live long day. Let it flow. Man. <laughs> Let it fucking flow. Does, because this movie is so unapologetically. R-rated over here. I think it's a fifteen. I think oh, it's a fifteen. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Is that a struggle in the current Hollywood system to get a movie like this made and to to you know to make it with that sort of you don't pull any punches in this film? Robert uh, McCall's yeah. a brutal guy. Yeah, and it's the same it's in the first movie. So is that is that a struggle? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, especially a rated R movie released in the summer. Yeah. And, and, you know, it has brutality and all that. You know, it's tough because everybody wants to PG-13 because in some people's minds it translates to money, right? Yeah. More people in the theaters. But that's not always true. Yeah. You know, I mean, we discovered that on the first one. Uh-huh. And, uh, people have a tolerance for something. If it's justice, you know, if justice is the reason for the violence, if it's yeah. justified, yeah. then people are pretty cool with it. But, you know, I, I think regulation is, is bullshit. People decide what they want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. They either like it or they don't. There's a, there's a strange thing in America as well. Over here we have... We had a pretty censorious governing body, the BBFC. They still can be from time to time, but right. uh, they would cut things. Basically, violence was a big thing for them. Sure. In the States, as far as I can tell, it's language and sex. That's that the real red flags for yeah. the MPAA. We're completely backwards. <laughs> yeah. And we got more mass shootings than everybody else in the world. Go figure. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. Kinda bizarre. And they worry about movies. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Don't worry about guns, but movies are the enemy. Don't kill anybody in the movie. If you, they've been fucking shooting people since the Great Train Robbery. And the first movie you made, you know, The Replacement Killers, I mean, you, you started off as you meant to go on. Yeah, a lot of bullets flying. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to tell a love story one of these days. It's going to be no, fucking great. No, you're not. <laughs> you told you're probably love, right. You told the love story, first 25 minutes of South Pole. And yeah, then what there happened? You go. A bullet flew. There you go. And, and there it was. Spoiler alert, by the yeah. way, in case people haven't seen that film. <laughs> That's a really good point. You just made. Oh, God. I tried. Yeah. Did I get the love story out of your, out of your yeah, system? Yeah, I'm done with it now. You just... <laughs> I'm done with it. What was I thinking? Uh, back to Denzel. Denzel, that's right. Denzel Washington, Antoine Fuqua films, they're a bit like buses in that you wait ages for one and then three come along in very quick succession. And there was this long gap mm-hmm. between The Equalizer and Training Day. Mm-hmm. Did you guys try and work together in that period or did you not want to try that in case people were, you know, were thinking, don't, don't ruin the magic of Trinity Day. Don't go near. You can't recreate the chemistry. Mm. No, I, um, shit. Uh, American Gangster was my movie. Yeah, and I was on that with Denzel. And then uh, me and Universal had disagreements and it didn't work out. How, how long in the process were you Oh, on I was going to shoot in two weeks. I think it may have been a week or two. I was shit. Yeah, man. I knew you were on it, but I didn't know you were on it. On it on yeah, it. I prepped it. I was ready to shoot it. I had hired uh, Benicio Del Toro. It was me, Denzel, and Benicio Del Toro. Benicio uh-huh. was going to play Richie the cop. And, uh, you know, things didn't work out. And then um, Ridley came along and Russell. Was it Russell? Yeah, Ridley and Russell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Wound up doing it about a year later. Because they came as a package deal, those two yeah. at that time as, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So they split our package deal up <laughs> and put their package deal together. I mean, that, that, that was a good one for me and Denzel to do. I think... Um, that's when it got away, you know? Oh, man. I don't want to dredge over old, painful memories, but when you leave a project with two weeks to go, that must it's painful. be... painful. Yeah. It's a painful memory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks, thanks for bringing it up. No, well... <laughs> <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically, I can play you back the tape. Technically, technically I you do, brought it up. Ah, yeah. uh, shit. It's like <laughs> so a got you story. There. All right, so you and Denzel were obviously then trying to make something together yeah, for, yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah, exactly. And then um, when and after that, we just kind of just... He was busy and I was busy. But, you know, we're friends and we talked about different things. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually called me on Equalizer. Uh-huh. He's the one that called me on the first one um, to see if I uh, would do it. And what, what did he say? How did he get you on board? Uh, he just called me, said, you know about the Equalizer script. And uh, yeah. I, I had heard about it. I said, yeah, I heard about it. You know, uh, I said, I didn't know if it was real or not because my agent kept calling me saying, give Denzel a call about this Equalizer script. I said, Denzel will call me. You know, he's a friend. I'm not going to chase Denzel about that. That's silly. <laughs> and uh, he kept bugging me, man, for weeks about it. And I was in I was in, uh, in Italy. And then Denzel called me, as I said he would. Yeah. And uh, he just said, hey, uh, take a read of it and give me a call. Let me know if you like it. Mm. And I read it and I said, yeah, if you're doing it, then let's mm. go. And uh, to go back to that, that kind of opening question, mm. Richard, uh, Richard, Frank's, uh, Richard Frank's script, mm-hmm. did that specify the level of violence in that script? Or is that something that you and Denzel said, okay, this, we got a chance here to, to do something that sets it apart from this kind of milk toast action thrillers that Hollywood's pumping out right now? Because... I think a lot of people take away from the from Equalizer. You know, I love that film and the 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 final shootout, the final mm-hmm. sequence in the uh, oh yeah, in the warehouse, in the, in the warehouse. Oh, the, um, home Home Depot, whatever. Oh yeah, I mean that's I think what a lot of people take away from it. That it sets it apart from the PG thirteen movies. Yeah. Well, Richard, you know, you know, Richard's. I really like Richard as a writer. He he didn't write the details of the violence. You know, sometimes he just writes. You know, and he takes them all out in a certain amount of time. That mm. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, a lot of the violence and, and and the specifics of the violence came through me and Denzel, like the corkscrew and 
all that stuff that came through just conversations I had with some of the guys or special forces guys I know and mm-hmm. you know, SEALs and all that. Okay. Of like, you know, there's no rules in fighting. Right? <laughs> if it's a fight, everything is a weapon. Yeah. Right? Including corkscrews cork or, you know, uh, uh, drill bits, <laughs> which I used in the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. Uh, there's no rules. So uh, I took that... Uh, concept and just went with it and started to design the room and just thought what would be in these rooms and whatever's in that room is what we used oh really yeah so i I started to design the violence around that yeah okay interesting and uh, so we're in a room now i think your coffee's arriving yeah well, I would kill you with my coffee. Here, I could, yeah. I could throw that in your face. I would burn. Well, that would, yeah, that would be scalding. Yeah, that would be scalding. And then I would hit you with this. Because <laughs> <laughs> you ruined my love story idea already. <laughs> We've got two monitors here. You could smash me around the head with those. Uh, you know, listen, hey. This Tell you what he couldn't do. You could choke someone with this. You know. you, yeah, you could. The, it's pretty the, bad, man. You can't stab it's someone with a microphone now. Yeah, no, there's lots of, and, and we're surrounded by glass as well, Antoine. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> yes, ugly. So basically, I better be in my best behavior for the next 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, otherwise, man, you never know, man. What might happen in this room? You know, I'm looking around now. Got my brain gone. It's early too. Hopefully, the coffee will placate you. They'll calm uh, you down. Calm the beast. There we go. There we go. Uh, man, brother. So, in between Equalizer and Equalizer Two, you have like the Magnificent Seven yeah. as well, and. I love director-star combinations, you know, Ford and Wayne and Russell and Carpenter and Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. You know, I just, there's something about... Yeah, Martin Scorsese, De Niro. Or Scorsese, DiCaprio as well. Yeah, DiCaprio you know? now, yeah. There's something about, I think, when a director really finds his muse. Mm-hmm. And clearly you knew that you had found that back on training day. Mm-hmm. From the first uh, scene, which was in the diner. Uh, him and Ethan sitting there, I was just like, oh, man... Uh, this is why I like to make movies. That's really what I love more about movies, that, you know, the relationships and the characters. I literally stopped looking at my monitor after a while. Like, I set up the shots, obviously do my job, and then I would get an Apple box and sit there like I was at the theater. <laughs> and there was days where Ethan and Denzel would go, and I would just sit there, and they would just go, and they're going back and forth, and, you know, my nigga talking shit. And then Denzel would look at me, and he like, are you going to cut? I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, we we did that a lot. But it was fun. And from that moment, Ethan Hawk and Denzel. Uh, yeah. I worked with Ethan three times. It's the same feeling every time, man. You know, you get excited. And when you find that that music because you know, making movies are difficult and you know, all the politics of it are the are the, are the uh, practical yeah. issues. Yeah. Which is fine. It's the job or the studio issues. And then when you go on set, man, at four in the morning or whatever, and you see your actor and you know he's going to deliver, you know, he's going to come through no matter what the situation is. Yeah. He's going to surprise you and and you both trust each other. Uh, With Denzel, on that day I just mentioned at the diner, uh, I said to Denzel, uh, you want to come to the monitor and take a look at this, the scene I just shot? Because I said, uh, okay, I'm good. I got everything I need. He goes, I said, you want to come see? Just to see if there's something you want to try more because I got a few more minutes. He said, uh, no, nah, man, you're flying this plane. Uh, call me when you need me. And just walked away. And I was just kind of standing there like, shit, now I'm responsible. <laughs> but Denzel Washington. So, you know, it gave me confidence um, in our relationship. And yeah, since yeah. then, he's never come to the monitor and said, really? Ever. He's never second guessed shots, concepts, whether I said I got enough or not. He was, he's like, okay, you got it? I said, yeah, I got it. Unless it's something he wants to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, let me try it. And we'd work on that. Other than that, he he just trusts my my uh, 
directing. That's amazing. Yeah. So that first day on training day, did you know where he was going to go with the, with the character? I mean, obviously you'd had, I imagine you'd had rehearsal, you'd had loads of discussions. Mm. Yeah, in, we in did. Prep. But you know, you know, I knew uh, there's a character in my life that I introduced Denzel to. A couple of characters. One was very similar to the personality of Alonzo in Training Day. Um, one's a, one, and he was an undercover cop. He's wow. a friend of mine. He's pretty wild. Uh, and then there's another one who's a gang member, uh-huh. who's a blood, and who was a good friend of mine as well. And so we all had dinner with a few undercover cops and a few bloods. And what was interesting at dinner is how similar they were in personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how they got along fine as long as, you know, there was n- neutral ground. Like yeah. after the dinner, the one guy said to the other guy, you know I'm going to be on your ass tomorrow, right? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, all right. You know, <laughs> if you catch me. Like it was like, it was weird. It was it's like re- that scene in Heat, isn't yeah, it? relationship. <laughs> it was like- just like, yeah, we know, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. But one had a badge and one didn't. Yeah. But they were very similar personalities. You know, it's almost like you get so close to what you're chasing, you become it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Denzel took it and put his own, because Denzel's from New York and he's got his own thing too. So when I got in that scene, I, when I uh, sat in the booth with him and Ethan, and I watched him and watched his body language and the way he started to talk to him. And then when he just kind of, he starts smiling, he said, my nigga, like that. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Created a monster, man. Because <laughs> he, that was Denzel. He just did that. Wow. And uh, him and Ethan just cracked up, man, afterwards. And they just went with it wow yeah, it was some great stuff man some stuff on the cutting room floor is pretty amazing too I just had to trim it well the stuff in the film is pretty good yeah I think he did okay I think we did alright <laughs> I think he did alright Ethan nominated and Denzel got the Academy Award so thank god Does he? can he still surprise you because there's something I love about his the way he plays Robert McCall mm-hmm. he is so calm very different character from Alonso obviously mm-hmm. but within the context of that can he still surprise you all the time yeah, yeah. I mean, the beauty of it is with a great actor is that he's in the moment. So no much as much as I prepare as a director, I also prepare to have room. When I work with my assistant directors, I always tell them, give me room mm-hmm. with, with me and Denzel. Don't try to block us into a schedule without having time because I know I need room to play w- with him. No one knows if you're going to walk in the room. I'm going to walk in the room and I'm going to say this. You know the dialogue. But he may get a different feeling when you when you deliver your line, mm-hmm. right? Like with him and Miles, the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The scene without giving it away. It, that got intense because Denzel really cares about kids and about what's happening to them in their lives. Mm-hmm. That came out of him. That wasn't on the page. You know, he just, we, we had rehearsed, rehearsed. But I knew because I know him that it was going to go further than what we rehearsed. And it was a matter of making sure um, Ashton yeah. could handle those moments. That's why it's important to have great actors next to great actors. Yeah. Because when things shift within the context of the moment, you got to stay with it. Yeah, of course. And that becomes the true moment to see if you really have what it takes to spar with somebody like Denzel because yeah. he's in the moment and everything he's doing is about the moment and he's going to make you look stronger if you can stay in the game. Mm. So when I was casting for Ashton, I needed to make sure I had a young actor that wouldn't panic and lose his way. Right, and that's yeah. that's a hard thing to do. So, <clears throat> hats off to Ashton. When when I was trying to find Ethan Hawke, well, uh, the character in Training Day, one of the hardest things was finding somebody that could sit in a car next to Denzel and not drown. Yeah, and also yeah. 
be a great actor on his own, that it would support Denzel's performance and the, and his performance. And Ethan was that guy. I don't think the Academy Award would have happened without Ethan. Yeah, And absolutely. Ethan got nominated himself, people forget. So finding the balance, it's like a team, right? You're only as great as your, your partner and your team, you know? Mm. And those two, those sort of moments with Denzel surprise me all the time. All the time. This is your first sequel, and going into it, you know what people liked about the first movie. Mm-hmm. And you have, there's you know, obviously that trap that sequels can fall into where you just give them the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trap is to do the same thing again. Yeah. Rich, it starts with Richard Wink went off and wrote a script that was different from the first script. So if you didn't see the first Equalizer and you saw only this one, it kind of stands on its own as a film, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Without the information. And that's part of the uh, key to a sequence to me is, you know, first of all, when you make your first film, your first uh, uh, movie of a sequence, um, a sequel rather, uh, look at it as just a movie. Try to make that movie the best movie you can make. And that's it. Don't think of it as there won't be another one. Like, you can't think, I'm going to make this one. I'm going to hold back. I'm not going to give everything I got because it might not, you know, because I got to save it for the second one. And that's like the mistake. You just got to go for it as if that's it. Not only that, you got to make a movie as if you're never going to get to make another movie again because you're only as good as your last one, right? Yeah, yeah. So you got to go in thinking this is this is the fight. This is it. If I if I lose, I lose. So you can't be thinking about well on Equalizer two and three. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to use this lens because this is a really cool lens, and I don't want to do this. Denzel, don't give me your best performance because you know we want to save it for the second one. Like, <laughs> yeah, give me your second best. Yeah, that's not going to work. You know, <laughs> so you just do the best movie and then. Then it becomes a money thing, a studio thing. Of course, yeah. If they want to spend money on the second one or third one or whatever, yeah. you know, that's the deal. Well, incredibly as well, this is uh, Denzel's first sequel, too. Yeah. I mean, there's no taking a Pelham 124. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, no. For some reason, there's no. not, there hasn't been a training day, too, and I don't no. really understand why. Uh, I mean, he's obviously still alive at the end of that film. Of course. Yeah, of course <laughs> no, he is. Not, no spoilers. He's back in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, man. So it's taken him a long time to make a sequel, and I imagine when he did so, he came with, uh, wanting to avoid pitfalls and yeah, yeah I, you know, yeah. I mean, it's all in the script for yeah. Denzel as well. You know, I don't think he consciously just didn't want to do a sequel. Nothing made sense to do a sequel with, really. Uh, same with me. For me, I just, I just moved to the next project. Uh, once I'm done uh, with the project, uh, you just move on. Yeah, right, because as a as a actor, any any artist, you want to go do something different anyway. Yeah, of course. Um, I don't know how you, I don't know how people go back to back with the exact same thing. Like it's just, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a, I mean, hats off to them when they can do it. But man, that's unless they're just paying you a lot of money, I guess. You know, if you're doing a, a big Marvel movie and you're making you know yeah. shitload of cash, I guess you find a way to be creative back to back, you know, like that. But that's hard, man, because. You're like in the same world for four years, three years. It takes you know a year, a year and a half to make a movie. Oh yeah. So that means you're almost four years doing the exact same thing yeah. every day. Well, yeah, it drives me fucking crazy. I couldn't do it. Well, this leads to the whole thing. You know, you know, this is a big movie. That that one, that one's for them. Yeah. And in between, you do a small movie. That one's for you me. You got to do something for yourself. I would think. Yeah. You know, I, I do anyway. I don't know what yeah. other people do, but. For me, I need some time. So Southpaw, maybe for for example, was one for you. Yeah. Southpaw um, was yeah, that was more personal yeah, yeah. for me, um, you know. And then you know, I'll find something now that I'll I, that I really want to do. Hopefully, do you have anything lined up, or is there? I mean, there's things I'm developing and looking at, you know. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. You know, 
You're still attached to Scarface? Is that still uh, yeah, a thing? Yeah, developing it. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I want Denzel to be Scarface, though. And how does Denzel feel about that? Is he? He's Denzel. He just goes, yeah, show me a script. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the end of the conversation. Like, I, I got no more. You know what I mean? I'm like trying to, here's my pitch. I want you to be Scarface, Denzel. I want you to be Dominican. Yeah, show me a script. <laughs> so, so I, you know what I mean? Like, it shuts me down. I got nowhere else to go. I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's going to be great. It's like, yeah, okay, well. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. yeah word sure. about, I'll see sure. you in yeah, October 1st. Great. So how, how close are you to showing Denzel a script? Oh, man. I don't know. I got to see when I get back home um, next week what the next draft looks like. Okay. Yeah. So they're, Right they're... now it's written for a guy that comes out of Sinaloa. He's Mexican. Okay. It's a whole different deal, which is cool, which yeah. is very cool. But what actor is going to do that? Yeah. That everybody wants to see have that sort of performance, that sort of power. Yeah. It's hard, you know? Yeah. And if he's Mexican, Benicio's already done Sicario. Yeah. So it's True. not going to be Benicio, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So who's out there? It could be somebody new, but it's a universal studio movie. It's kind of hard to get them to... So chances are you need a name. You need somebody. Yeah. Well, you need somebody with a name and also with the power to pull that off. Yeah. And it's going to be completely different than Al Pacino. Completely different. And Denzel is obviously completely different. And also for me, you know, Man, I want to. I want to go back into that darkness with him, man. I, do that. I just, you know what I mean. Like I just come on. I get excited about. it. I'm like a kid when I think about him doing that because I just know talking about surprising you and being powerful and different and have something to say. That's the way to go. Yeah, with him, man. And it'd be, it'd be awesome. Is there anything we can do to to ease that? Is there a, like a petition we can we can set yeah, up? Yeah, man, start it, man. A have Kickstarter, people like go crazy online. You know, I, I told Universe, they know. I mean, I, I'm very vocal about it with everybody. At first, I was, I don't want to put that out there. You know, <laughs> fuck it, man. That's how I feel about it, and that's why I want to do it. So, anybody got a problem with it, come see me. Shit. Absolutely, no public campaigning for Denzel to be Scarface. Yeah, yeah why man, not? Why not? You know, got to do something different. You know, Pacino killed it. He was like classic. Like Pacino, mm. he's a friend, man. Pacino. But, you know, when you think about it, you go, okay, who has that power? There's a few actors out there that have that sort of veracity, that thing, you know. Mm. Um, Denzel has that thing, you know. There's a couple of young guys out there that have that sort of thing like that. Tom Hardy has that. Oh, yeah. He's got that thing in him, but, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's, dangerous there's, edge. Yeah, but there's only a handful that really have that, that power and that edge and that danger. Yeah. Um, and that charm as well. So it, it's, the list is really short. There's uh, there's Denzel, there's Tom Hardy, and there's Will Ferrell. And that's, that's pretty Will much Ferrell it. Will Ferrell would kill this shit, man. <laughs> that's my, see, I'm like a closet comedy guy. So you just bring it out. Just, right, you killed my love story idea. Now let's get into the comedy. I'm the guy that like sits up watching comedy. Like I don't want anybody to know because you know they're thinking I do all tough guy movies and shit. Meanwhile, I'm at home laughing my ass off watching Will Ferrell. Man, have you ever seen the one where he plays a Mexican? <laughs> have you seen? Oh, the, the um, Cassidy Mapadre. Oh yeah, God. yeah. Come on, that's man. A, that's a yeah. That's a fun Will film. Ferrell Scarface. Oh shit! If I just turned you around in this thing, that's funny. I think I have. I think I, I can see. I can see it in the heart. There's a, there's a glint okay. in your all right, eye. All right, forget it. Not Denzel. Will Ferrell <laughs> Scarface. <laughs> And what you got to do is you got to do what you did with Southpaw, right? So it's a comedy for the first 25 minutes, and then right. the bullets start flying, yeah, the chainsaws yeah. come out, and go. suddenly it's serious for I the rest like of the go. next two hours. And you so. got to set it in the 70s, though, or 80s. Oh, he'd Will be perfect. Ferrell, with he's, clothes and everything. He's got 70s hair, Will Ferrell. You got to do it, man. He could absolutely do it. Absolutely <laughs> do it. You said 
you're only as good as your last movie yeah. in, in Hollywood terms. And is that something that you have found in the past to your cost? I mean, you've had a couple of movies that maybe didn't do as well as, mm. as anticipated. Mm. King Arthur, I think, is maybe, oh, is yeah. maybe one. Yeah. Um, and you've always bounced back. I mean, you go from King Arthur to Shooter. Shooter is a film you made instead of American Gangster. Um, yeah. It, you know, for, want, for yeah, exactly. Is that... When did you first find out that that, that adage was true? And, and how did you get past it? Because you've always worked consistently. You've always mm. done... Uh, you've always been prolific. It's tough. I just keep pushing. You know, like, I mean, I'm... You know... I'm from the fucking streets, man. I'm from yeah. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up in the projects, in the hill. I mean, it's all a dream anyway. You know what I mean? Like, Hollywood... The fuck they're gonna do? I'm gonna move back to the streets. Like I, I've already got out of the streets. Honestly, yeah. if I'm being honest, yeah. um, the worst the worst that can happen is okay. They don't want to hire me. I mean, I've been fired. You know, American Gangster. I was yeah. I was essentially fired. That's what it was. it was. The phone call was this is not working out. Can we just find something else to do together? That's you're fired type of comment. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, I've been through worse, and and uh, it's like anything in life. It's like playing ball. I played ball all my life. I boxed. You're gonna win some. You're gonna lose some. If you're gonna, mm-hmm. you know, it's how. It's if you get up. You got to get up and keep going. And you learn from your losses. You learn from your mistakes, and you just keep going. If they're not gonna hire you in Hollywood, mm. cinemas around the world, right? This mm. guy's making movies with their credit cards. You find a way. My feeling is I'll find a way to make my films and do what I got to do, right? To keep going and be better next time. And try not to step into the same, um, you know, booby traps, pitfalls. Mm. And you can't be a suicide bomber by screwing yourself up, <laughs> yeah, right? Of and some, a lot of people are suicide bombers. So they they take it badly, or they they don't work well within the system, or yeah, yeah. And, and then you just give up and you quit and fuck Hollywood and all that. That's ridiculous, you know. It's like yeah. you're not going to win at everything. You just you try to make the best movie you can, and you, then you realize when I did King Arthur, it was interesting because I was I was still. Vi- fairly new in the business learning my way and that was supposed to be a rated r movie and it was a whole bunch of other shit that was going on with disney and at that time pirates came out and became a big hit and all of a sudden they wanted to make king Arthur like a a joyride or something yeah and it wasn't written that way and then you know it, it became something that wasn't meant to be so to speak right it became a movie that I lost my passion for it somewhere along the way because it was just like all of a sudden it was you can't do this, you can't do that, you know, you got to change that. And I was like, that wasn't the script. And then, you know, you find yourself making a movie because uh, I'm not a quitter, so I wouldn't just quit and walk away. Yeah, of course. In retrospect, I think maybe I should have just walked away. Okay, really? Um, maybe I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. But then, you know, what does that say to young people coming up behind me, mm-hmm. especially African-Americans, yeah. you know? You do a movie like King Arthur, what it says is, okay, you can go and try and make movies about other cultures and other things. And you may not succeed, and you may succeed, but you got to try, right? The lesson with a lot of this is, as a filmmaker, listen, Scorsese's had failures, Oliver Stone's had failures, great directors have had failures. You learn from those failures. Hopefully you get another shot at something epic uh, in that world if you really have a passion for it. Or you realize that that's just not your thing, right? And don't ever do that again. Just stick to what you really love and what you know. That's a choice you make. Mm. For me and King Arthur, it was one of those things where I grew up watching King Arthur. You know, as a a kid, I mean, obviously as a kid, I watched those movies, Merlin and King Arthur and stuff. Fascinated with all that stuff. 
it, in my mind, it was something different. What I wanted to do was something different. Ultimately, I'm not in control of those type of movies. When you're doing a movie that size with a studio like Disney, with my sensibility, it, it's not a good combination yeah. because I, I'm more, I'm a little darker. Yeah. What I like is a little edgier. Mm-hmm. And I'm making a movie for Disney. Yeah. Yeah. I should have known going <laughs> in that that was going to work out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's like you learn that. And you, so now when people send me things that they, you know, that they think I might be right for for whatever reason, uh, the decisions I make, the, m- my no's are just as important as my yes. When you say no, it's just as important as what you say yes to. Mm. And that's the lesson. Right. Know your lane. Know what you're passionate about. Know mm. what your sensibilities are. And be able to see, like, listen, as much as I appreciate being called to do a movie um, like that, if you're not really going all in the way I want to go all in, mm-hmm. I, I just have to say no. Don't worry, guys. I won't do another King Arthur. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Come to the UK, man. I, I wasn't even sure I was going to get allowed back in the UK. After that. I was like, fuck, I like London. They're going to kick me out of fucking place. And what brings you to London? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm the guy who wrote the King Arthur. Yeah. Right, just to step, yeah. step this yeah, way, step please. Aside, <laughs> Come into the small room over here. <laughs> Oh, we've, got to, we've got to search you, sir, in case you have a script for King Arthur 2 oh, on, your, on, your, yeah. on your person. Yeah, we just want to just let you know we're going to waterboard you. Let you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just a mild waterboarding. Yeah. Just a mild one. Yeah, you're, um, you're not going down that lane again, pal. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one last thing I wanted to talk to you about, and we, we mentioned him already, Miles, uh, Ashton Sanders' character in this yeah. film. is a really interesting character for me because Robert McCall takes an interest in this young African-American guy who is really talented, really gifted, but has a potential to fall into this life of crime. And uh, I just wonder if that's something that's becoming more important for you to tell you know, stories like this. There's um, there's, a, there's uh, elements of exploring racial strife in Magnificent mm-hmm. Seven as well. Mm-hmm. Is that something as you, as you get older as a filmmaker that you want to explore a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it seems like we're seeing more um, division in the world. It seems like a lot of young people are lost and, and confused about... Um, where they stand in the world, especially African-Americans. Um, uh, there's a tendency to feel like you don't belong. Um, and uh, I, I see a lot of young people making bad decisions, going down the wrong path, getting involved with gangs, yeah. things like that. Um, and that's only going to end badly. You know, it's not going to, there's no, you're going to get buried alive or buried in prison for the rest of your life. And I'm trying to find a way to speak to them through movies or um, whenever I meet them, uh, give them some insight, some direction. Miles was really important because the story's close to my own. Mm-hmm. If, like, you know, one bad decision, I could have went another way. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in those rooms with those guys where they'll use your pain yeah. and your suffering and get you to do something, you know, that you should, shouldn't do. And then, uh, then they throw you under the bus. And you're sitting in prison and yeah. your life's changed. And they're fine. And they're good. Yeah. Right? They're over there having a good time. So I'm always trying to find a way in. And and, and, and also what I'm trying to say in movies is we got to help each other. Right? If you look at the movies, Southpaw is different because it was about a father. And, and that movie was about you can't be a half father. you mm. got to be a full father. Mm. No matter how successful you are in life at what you do, you still got to be a dad if you got children. right? And if that centerpiece the mother for that movie was taken away from you you got to step up your game mm. right? you can't be an absent dad right there's no there's no excuse for that and so i, I 
I know I'm going around in circles, but I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is we got to be accountable and responsible. Yeah. As a parent and, and, and as people in society, we have to help each other more. Right. A lot of people can't help themselves. They just can't. They're not in a position financially or just emotionally or they don't have the knowledge or the connections. Uh, and sometimes I, I just feel like we're in a society where people just don't give a fuck. If it's not affecting you, they don't care. And I, that's just wrong. And Magnificent Seven is that. Seven Samurai was that. Mm-hmm. Equalizer is that. Mm-hmm. Even when I did Tears of the Sun, yeah. it was about that. Yeah. You know, It's always coming down to helping people that can't help themselves somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always money. It could just be some people just need somebody to fucking talk to, man. Yeah. Or somebody, a kid just needs somebody to say, you have talent. Yeah. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Simple things. You can paint. You can direct. You can do. You yeah, man. Do I mean, that's the whole point. When, as a director, for me, the whole point, back to King Arthur quickly, but not to step on it. Was, yeah, of course. It was more for kids. It was more for kids in the ghettos. Just, you know, whether it's successful or not, that I did it. Right? I did a film about something outside of my comfort zone. Completely different from my world that I come from. A kid may want to make a movie about being on the moon. You need a reference sometimes. Sometimes they need to be able to say, hey, well, Antoine did a film about this or that, and he's African-American. Yeah. So why can't I? Maybe they'll do it better, but so what? Why not, right? Why not yeah. try it? Give yeah. it a shot. So that's the whole point, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if I answered your question or not. I think you did, and then some. Uh, I could talk to you all day, sir, but um, I have to let you go. People are banging on the glass. Yeah, <laughs> waiting to whisk you away from here. Yeah, I see uh, it. It's right. been an absolute pleasure, man. Antoine Fuqua. Thanks, Thanks, for And see you for the Equalizer 3 in a couple of years' time. Uh, yeah, give me two or three years. <laughs> all right, bro. Me, thank you. Later. Okay, so that was Antoine Fuqua, and that is start off the movie review section by talking about his new movie, The Equalizer 2. That's The Equalizer 2. Is that a popular sporting reference? Whenever a football team scores an equalizing goal against another football team, sometimes the, re- the commentator would go, and that's the equalizer! I watched the football with you quite recently and that didn't happen. That's because whenever the equalizer was scored, the commentator was depressed. Okay. Equalizer 2. Jimbo, set it up. This is indeed the sequel to Denzel Washington and Antoine Fuqua's The Equalizer, which stars Washington as Robert McCall, a uh, badass blue-collar Avenger, uh, <laughs> part of one of my favourite uh, subgenres, the kind of violent overcorrection of moral transgressions genre, <laughs> uh, which includes the likes of John Wick and, indeed, uh, Taken and Death Wish and things like that. Yes. Um, some people would call them vigilantes. But, Some you know, people but, call them But why, why would I do that? No. Why, why would I do that? Um, and this sees uh, McCall having moved to Boston. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's a, an authentic accent. In a car. In a car. Now, okay, it's much the same as the first one. He writes some wrongs. He beats up some bad guys. But this one uh, takes a step up. It's slightly less about low-level street crime. And this has a more of a sort of uh, Bourne-esque conspiracy thrillery angle to it. So they've upped the stakes broadened the canvas and in my humble opinion made it much much worse so you, um, you and i come at this from different angles yes we do we do i enjoyed your review a lot and i can't disagree with any of it except for the fact that i disagree with all of it and uh while i don't disagree with any of your points i just agree with whether or not that makes it good like i i really like the first one not in the sort of john wick way i think john wick is a genuinely great film i think uh Equalizer was a guilty pleasure. I enjoyed 
the conceit with the watch. You know, I enjoyed how much of a badass he was. I really enjoyed that. Um, in this, though, there are a couple of moments. There's a sequence on a train. There's a sequence in a hotel, a sequence in a hotel room, which I, I thought was very good and captured that essence of the first one. But I think once this tries to be something it isn't, once it tries to be a CIA conspiracy thriller, once it sort of steps onto Bourne turf, it completely loses me because I find him a very broad strokes character. I enjoy the kind of intimacy of it the way it's small town he worked in a diy store it was all very close to home and this it just it's the worst conspiracy and it, when it unravels it's very sort of first base motivations the twist if it can be called a twist is all but announced with a fireworks show and a brass marching band um and I just, I felt, and it was very long. It's a very long film, and I felt every minute of the runtime. I think I, I really had an issue with this because I wanted to like it so much. And I was really excited to go to the screening, and I did not enjoy it at all. And, and that made me sad. It made me, in many ways, want to go out and seek vigilante justice <laughs> against Antoine Fuqua, <laughs> uh, which I won't do because he'd probably kill me. He would. He's, he's, a, he's yeah. a unit. And I felt uh, particularly bad for Bill Pullman, who has what I believe is the most thankless job in cinema in this film. No, the, his role in the first one was even more thankless. <laughs> but I know you really enjoyed it, and like I, I did read your review, and I do agree with all of your points. I just They obviously didn't affect your enjoyment of the film uh, in the same way that they did mine. No, I wonder how much of that was dictated to me by the seat I was in because I saw this at the View West End in a recliner right yes. in the front row. It's the most amazing cinema seat I think I've been in since I saw World War Z. Yes, Z in Jakarta. I digress. But the, I saw this uh, in an amazing seat and maybe like uh, coloured my perception. Yeah, but of the I film. was in one Who of knows? those seats as well because this is the first time I've been to the View West End. Was you facing thing. the screen? It was, it was facing the screen, yes. Okay. And it had the little reclining bit my legs went up and but I may have spent more time focusing on that than the film, in fact. It had a little table as well. I had my drink on it and everything. It was amazing. I know. And I had like crispy M&M's, oh, which is the best so cinema good. snack. So good. Uh, but I really enjoyed this film. I think it's a really proper old school you can feel the craftsmanship. I just like can these guys. I, yeah, you really can. The, the, the film slightly, it loses momentum a little bit when the main plot kicks in. It does. But genuinely, I could have watched Denzel Washington drive people around in a lift, yes. in a car. But so and could I. occasionally right wrongs. There's a, you know, before the main plot kicks in. And the plot is completely and utterly transparent. And you can see who the bad guy yep. is a mile away. And you can see the <laughs> twist a mile away. And you can see this, all the revelations a mile away. But I didn't care because I was having such fun such enjoyment watching Denzel Washington who at this stage of his career we're talking about how old is too old to be an action hero and Denzel is pushing 60 if he isn't already 60 and he still at some point in his career he decided about 5, 6, maybe 7 years ago that he was going to be an action hero and he didn't care if he was in his late 50s but he was just going to crush some heads and look really really cool doing it and he is very very convincing in this very relaxed, very comfortable in his own skin the sort of guy uh, and I may have already said this in the Antoine Fuqua interview. I, if I've left it in, I'm not sure because uh, I haven't edited it yet. But there's, you know, he has a line where he says to a whole bunch of bad guys, "You know, I'm going to kill you all." And the only disappointment is I can only do it once. And he says it with just such confidence. Not he's like he is almost this plucked from the 1970s yeah. badass antihero. 
and I just enjoy watching him go about his business and doing what he does and I had a lot of fun with it. See, I agree with all of that except I'm not sure to me that's what it did. Like, I could absolutely have watched two hours of him being a lifter driver and beating up sort of low-level street thugs but it's when it started to have aspirations beyond, frankly, its reach that it lost me and I got very bored with all the, the thriller stuff. There the is sort of the conspiracy just, no, just make it stop. There is an interesting point to be made here I think uh, or, or, or maybe discussion point who knows maybe there's not interest at all but it feels to me like there is a certain amount of films coming out at the moment that are really enjoyable mm. because you get to hang with characters mm. and they're really fun and then custom dictates that there has to be a plot that there has to be a story, <laughs> that there has to be a MacGuffin and a bad guy and a resolution and something that something has to happen. And none of that is true. But would you genuinely, for example, I'm thinking about Guardians 2. Yeah. Right. So I think I, I did I review Guardians 2? Whoever reviewed Guardians 2, I think it maybe made the same point that it's really fun. You get to hang with these characters who are really likable and then the plot kicks in. And the machinations of the plot just means that it starts to lose momentum. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that here with the Equalizer too. I could hang with Robert McCall. I could hang with Robert yeah. McCall all day long, and then I have to watch this plot. And the plot is fine. It's fine. It's okay. I don't think it's as good as the first movie in in that way. But um, I do wonder if there's going to be a director bold enough. Um, who knows? Maybe Jim Jarmusch with his zombie movie is going to have the first plot-free movie where you just get to hang out with characters. But that would be, you know, really interesting. Can you know, Is there a filmmaker out there bold enough to just go, you know what, guys? Screw it. We're not going to have a bad guy twirling his moustache. We're just going to hang out with this character for 90 minutes. And, and Or is that just too well? I, I mean, films like Breakfast Club, films like Swingers, they have very gentle plots, but that's what they're really about, isn't it? It's about hanging out with these characters. Mm. And I like Denzel, and I really enjoy watching him beat the shit out of people, but honestly, <laughs> if I'm going to do that, I'd rather rewatch The Book of Eli. <laughs> Listen, I had a blast with it. Uh, I gave it three stars, but in my heart of hearts, I think it's probably a low four. Jimbo thinks it's a, I think it's a low two. two. Who knows? You know which one of us is right? Who knows? It's me. So there we go. It's three, st- three stars. Then you haven't seen it. It's James. Nick's in you my haven't corner. seen it. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually with James in these debates. I have a coin, and you're going to kill us with it. I'm going. <laughs> Why not? I'm going to set the timer for twenty seconds. <laughs> yeah, right. See what happens. I'm going to toss the coin. All right. Yeah. Heads. This is how we rate things at Empire. Heads, I'm right. <laughs> this is tails. You're right. This is compelling podcast content. I will. Okay, here we go. I will go and watch the film, <laughs> and then <laughs> I, will, I will do the deciding vote. How about that? Because <laughs> you've already you've already decided that you're not going to like it. <laughs> no, I heard there's a bit of a harpoon gun. I want to. There watch is it. a bit with a harpoon gun. I don't remember the bit with the harpoon gun, but there you go. I okay, here I'm tossing the coin again. Here we go. It's heads. I'm right. So three stars then for the Equalizer 2 and we'll be tossing the coin in a second to talk about Christopher Robin as well and this is a sequel to Winnie the Pooh. This is a very strange film. Only I've seen it here so I'm going to talk about it very, very briefly. And this stars Ewan McGregor as Christopher Robin who of course is the friend and companion of Winnie the Pooh and all those A.A. Milne stories was Is there course, a point a real where person. he sets his watch for 30 seconds and strolls into the 100 Acre Woods and, and just lays shit out of Eeyore? <laughs> Oh no, I'm being beaten up by Christopher Robin. He is Gotham's reckoning. <laughs> yeah, sadly not. So this is directed by Mark Forster, and this is this posits itself as a sequel to Winnie the Pooh. So the idea is that it, the stories of Winnie the Pooh are real. Christopher Robin, as a kid, did hang out in Hundred Acre Wood. Mm. Is that what it's called? I was never a Pooh head. So. I was never a Pooh brain growing up. Um, I, I only became a Pooh brain in later life. And he hangs out with 
with um, what's his face, the big fat one who eats the honey, Winnie is, the Pooh. Is is Pooh still shirt cocking it all the way through? He is absolutely shirt cocking it. Mm. You do not see the Pooh balls though. So it's Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, uh, Tigger. Is there a donkey? No, it's Eeyore. <laughs> Eeyore, uh, Owl, Rabbit, uh, Kanga, and Roo. Yeah, he ran out of. At some point, at some point, Milne just <laughs> stopped giving a shit about the names. Uh, here's a bear who likes honey. What am I going to call him? I'm going to call him Winnie the Pooh. This is a donkey. He's quite, he's quite, uh, he's quite lacrimose. He's quite lugubrious. What am I going to call him? Uh, Eeyore. That's a good name. Here's a rabbit. Fuck it, rabbit. Uh, there's an owl. Yeah, owl. That'll do. Piglet. Piglet. Yeah. Oh, here's the thing that bounces on string. Yeah, tigger. That'll do. Because it's like a tiger. <laughs> And that's lunch <laughs> in the Milne household. <laughs> anyway, so the idea is that these are real. And also, then- there's no way that wood's 100 acres. <laughs> Just no fucking way. So Christopher Robin grows up and becomes Ewan McGregor. Uh, he has a higher ground and he becomes, <laughs> he fights in World War One. I, I want to say. Uh, one of the world wars. And then he becomes an adult and he begins to put away childish things. And he falls in love with Hayley Atwell and he has a daughter and he forgets about Winnie the Pooh. But Winnie the Pooh still exists back in the 100 Acre Wood and then there's a plot contrivance that gets Winnie the Pooh back into the life of Christopher Robin just at the point when he needs him most. Just when they thought he was out. Pooh, Pooh sucks back in. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. It happens to the best of us. This is, I guess, like Peter Rabbit, one of the wave of movies to come along in the wake of Paddington and the success. And what this movie does which is interesting, is that it doesn't try to ape Paddington. It is not a feel-good, brightly coloured, lots of primary colours, warm-hearted movie about this bear from the point of view of the bear. It's from the point of view... For example, imagine if they'd made Paddington from the point of view of Mr. Brown, who is a (laughs) down Mr. Brown's boys. Yeah, Mr. Brown's boys. He's down The movie. (laughs) I want to watch Paddington from the point of view of Mr. Gruber. (laughs) Oh, hello! It's a little bear. He might. He might bears say. and piglets. Bears and piglets. <laughs> Not Hans Gruber. <laughs> and father of five. Ladies and bears. Ladies and bears. I read about it. Nice shirt, John Phillips. I read in about it and uh, uh, um, So it's a bit. Oh, ho- it's a bit hook, isn't it? It's a bit. It's hooky, a bit hook, yeah. But it's, with with fewer insufferable uh, roller skating. Yeah. Teenagers. This movie's really interesting because I found it quite moving, actually. I quite, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very, very good film. And I like the fact it doesn't ape Paddington. Uh, it does have a sequence. I believe Simon Farnaby did some work on the script. And, and now and again, you can feel that there's a sequence set in London later on where Simon Farnaby, it features Simon Farnaby, Matt Berry and Mackenzie Crook together doing their, their British comedy improv shtick. And you can kind of feel that that's... You know, there's a different version of this movie that's pushing it in that direction. But otherwise, this is quite a reflective, quite sad story about a man having a nervous breakdown. Essentially, <laughs> that's yeah. what it is. Caused and, by poo. But uh, this is a, an interesting film. It is shot like an independent film. It feels a bit like David Lowry's Pete's Dragon, actually, to me. And that it feels, it's, you know, it's got lots of Instagram filters going on. Lots of slightly... Close-ups of leaves. And close, yeah, like a Terence Malikian movie in a weird way. And it's anchored by... You forget how good Ewan McGregor is sometimes. And he just he's a very likeable, very warm presence, even at points when Christopher Robin is meant to be a bit of a git. 
you know, not not intentionally, but life has has compressed him into this and pushed him into this position where he's not as warm and as not as loving with his wife and his daughter as he would like to be. And he, he was puts, supposed to be the chosen one. He was <laughs> supposed to bring balance to he the has, force. Yeah, he has the lower ground in this, but uh, he's very, very likable. And by the way, I rewatched this week Down With Love, Peyton Reed's Down With Love, and my God, that's a good film. Have you ever seen that film? I have never watched it. It, it has absolutely one of the all-time great monologues. It's very good. And it, it's so good. And I kind of feel it wasn't given as Jews at the time. Uh, it's 15 years old this year. We should do a reunion. Let's get them <laughs> back together. Renny Selweger and, and Hugh McGregor. We've only got like three months left of the of the, uh, the year. So let's do it. Let's get on it. Up with that idea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, as a Tigger fan, a Tiggerholic, yes. if you were, a, a former Tiggerholic, uh, how is Tigger in this film? Uh, he's good. He's good. He doesn't get a lot to do, but he's voiced by Jim Cummings, who has voiced him and Winnie the Pooh for years. And that's the other weird thing about it, because it very much positions itself as a, an official Winnie the Pooh movie. You hear the Winnie the Pooh song, it is played, Tigger gets his song, the wonderful thing about the earth, ah! you know, that one. And, you know, it's kind of weird given the tone of this movie. It doesn't really fit at times, but uh, mm. I admired its strangeness. I really like this film. It turns out that uh, the Empire podcast's Helena Harra oh. did not like this film as she gave it two stars. She's the worst. Just the absolute worst. Uh, she's not here this week, obviously, in case you're wondering why <laughs> Helen hasn't been speaking. Where's Helen? What's she doing? Um, so we'll have it out with her next week about why she didn't like Christopher Robin. You know what? If you don't like Deeplizer 2, take the extra star from that and bang it on to Christopher Robin and all is right with the world. Uh, and speaking of three stars, we haven't seen this film yet. It only screened for critics on Monday night and we couldn't make it. Uh, it is out now. It is Ian Morris, the co-creator of The Inbetweeners, uh, the co-director of The Inbetweeners 2, which I think is a very, very funny film. And this is the festival, which sees Joe Thomas from The Inbetweeners go to a music festival and horrible shit happens to him. And uh, three stars, our reviewer gave this. And he says it starts very... Interestingly, quite dark, not that funny in the first hour, but it builds and builds and builds and it's a very, very funny second half of the film. So three stars then for the festival. And a, a documentary to point you towards is uh, The Eyes of Orson Welles, which is the latest film from Mark Cousins, who is, of course, the the person who took over from Alex Cox on Movie Drum. He likes dark films, very smart man, very likes his films... <laughs> And he's made a movie about Orson Welles, which is in cinemas now. Lovely. You should see it. Four stars we have given that. We have given that, which is a very Northern Irish thing to say. We have given that four stars, so check it out. There we go. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... I I can't remember. But Some, someone good. Someone yeah, I'd, great. I'd written it down, but I can't remember who the heck it is. It's um, not Liam Neeson, is it? It's not Liam Neeson. No, especially not after this. I don't <laughs> think Liam is ever going to be on the podcast again. I think he'd be thrilled. Yeah, it's Richard Taylor. Who knows? Well, we'll find out. I've got it written down somewhere. But uh, yeah, giving it a big sell here, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> anyway, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Bye. It is goodbye from Nick Dissemblian. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to find out how far before J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboot, Star Trek Discovery is set. And I'm going to get an answer. Well, see, Chris, when you approach warp 10, time starts to fold, and it gets very...